20, 42. You know I can only count but so high, Doc. You're messing with me and it's just not nice. It's the holiday season. Tis the season or something. For entertaining me. Uh, no, I was the boss here, remember? Don't make me dock your pay again. All that right. was one day. You said I was the boss. I'm just keeping it. No. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so quickly. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king. The sky is the limit and space is the place. So without further ado, you're supposed to mock me silently, Doc. Without oh. further ado, uh, we have our special guest, uh, Mr. Matthew Quinn. Can you introduce yourself to our listening and viewing audience, please? Um, hi there. My name is Matthew Quinn. I'm an Atlanta writer of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And I have um, several books available for purchase. But um, my most successful one so far has been my debut horror novel, The Thing in the Woods, and its sequel, The Atlanta Incursion. Oh, my. Okay. Those all sound interesting. We might have to have you back to talk about more of them. But the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found him. And uh, he was actually recommended to us by um, some previous guests. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we know everybody doesn't want their associates' names out there in case people do stupid things. And when you hang out with us, that probably means they, they apply that to Doc, too, because she's a little weird. Hey, but, I was just uh, going to say, we don't have Nick here today. I know. But that's why they're like, no, no, I don't want him to say I know those guys. What are you talking about? So <laughs> so he actually came to us highly recommended from some other authors we've interviewed, uh, which is a cool way to find people. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of how we find people, dear listener, if you have people you want to recommend come on the show to talk books with us, then uh, then we're game. So send them over. We'll talk nerdy. But uh, now, Doc, you get to ask your most favoritest question of all, the religion question. Yes, it is. So Talk Nerdy to me is my favorite music video. It's hilarious. I know. That's why I phrased it that way. <laughs> okay. So back to sci-fi, though. Dune, Avatar, or Alien, Matthew, which one would you pick? I would probably say Dune, at least early on in the series. Things are getting kind of strange later once you get into God Emperor and beyond that. I mean, I said I'd see Dune, the new Dune movie in a spacesuit if I had to. I can see that. Uh, I absolutely love Dune, so I get that. Uh, how about Conan, Lord of the Rings, or Willow? Well, I've never actually seen Willow a bit before my time, but Lord of the Rings, definitely. Conan is cool, too. Do I have to... Can I, can I pick more than one? You can pick more than one. I'm not mean like that. Well, thank you. So, um, I, I never did well on the multiple choice questions, so <laughs> in school. Um... I am a little offended that, that people are saying movies I watched as a kid or not. Oh, those are before my time. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with the world? Well, the first movie I can remember seeing was in theaters was Land Before Time. That was 88. Okay. All right, you get a, that's that's closer. Okay. I, I, I was seven years old that year, so not too bad. And I was four. Okay. I didn't so live you, where there were movie theaters when I was four, so. She actually had, was, was enjoying cave paintings when she was four because she's really old. Oh, sand paintings. Sand yeah. paintings. Yeah, I know. All yeah. right. Uh, we digress, and she's going to hunt me down and murder me in my sleep now. You don't sleep. You snore too much. Uh, but anyways, what is your favorite, sci-fi or fantasy or horror? Um, 
Probably horror, because I remember when I was real little, I wanted to see Arachnophobia and Gremlins 2, and Mom and Dad, having common sense, didn't let me. So after that, probably science fiction. I think uh, inter good parents touching base with their kid about that. Well, I, I saw Gremlins 2 at the plaza in, in Atlanta, and mm -hmm. I realized four-year-old me would have probably either been bored or scared to death, because all the jokes are very 80s adult humor like Japanese tourists who can't stop taking pictures and Donald Trump. Like, yeah. Gotten any of it at all. Well, I, I will say as a parent, I have been known to go, no, you can't watch that movie because I don't want to run the risk of you sleeping in my bed for a week. So I can understand also understandable. That. Although I didn't think the 80s stuff was that bad. And then I went to re so like I went to rewatch it some as an adult and i'm like uh wow okay i remember watching one and it was it was supposed to be like just a fantasy you know sword and sorcery type deal and i'm like it's rated r but it's a 1983 r so it's probably pg and i started it and it was like uh no cover the kids eyes their boobs on the screen yeah. <laughs> it was, four, four words it's, it's, kalima shaki day yes <laughs> So, so it's it's sometimes you're surprised what you miss when you're just too young to know any better. Except for Doc, because she was born old. But uh, what is your <laughs> what is your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Do you was it uh, the the movies that you mentioned, the the Land Before Time cartoon, which I would qualify as sort of fantasy, so it fits. Uh, was it earlier than that, playing games or or, or anything like that? Well, um, Dad would always read to me the newspaper comics, and there's good old Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, yes. Okay. So you have Spaceman Spiff, Dinosaurs, this and that. Yes. So I would probably say newspaper comics, maybe TV cartoons, because there's the 80s holy trinity of Transformers, G.I. Joe, and Ninja Turtles. Yes. Oh, yeah. I can hear all their theme songs in my head. Do you listen to uh, Mikey Mason's re uh, redux of those? No, I don't even know who that is. He does. Um, he started doing con stuff, and I've never actually go to cons because I live in a basement. Um, but that's at least what Doc tells me. But he does. He does funny period music with like heavily eighties inspired. The man is hilarious. You should check out his music. Um, but anyway, how did your love of speculative? Uh, what is it specifically about speculative fiction that you love? Well, you just can kind of indulge your imagination as much as you can. Expected okay. fiction covers everything. Yes, it does. That's what Doc keeps telling me anyway. She laughs at my genre stuff. She's like, no, they don't exist. Genre's not real. Well, I did She's hear right. someone say that horror was not actually a genre. It was an aesthetic. Like, Alien is science fiction. Hellraiser is dark fantasy. I, aesthetic is... I've, I've heard that about steampunk, too. But aesthetic applies, it's just a screen cutting or, you know, it's a shading of a story that you could take it out and the story still works. And, and I could see that working where you take the steampunk out and you've still just got a fantasy story or, or historical fantasy. I don't know that horror, if you take out the horror element, stands alone. The story is gone without it. So I would call that its own genre, like if, you, if we're drawing a distinction. What do you think, Doc? Uh, I think that horror is a very tricky slope between dark fantasy and what's truly horror. And I think a big part of that is how you define horror 
in some ways. Uh, I once was told horror is anything without a happy ending. And I'm like, but I watch horror with a happy ending too. So, but I'm not a huge horror buff. Um, so, horror with but, a happy ending. I mean, everyone who's still alive has probably got PTSD. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> like poor Kirsty Cotton. Her dad's dead. Her, her, she and her boyfriend see the bone dragon. She nearly gets kidnapped by the leather freaks from hell. I mean, she's not going to be a happy camper. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely like, what are we defining a happy ending here, guys? So, so and, and one thing I don't think any horror or crime thriller ever, well, sometimes crime thriller, but horror movies never address, like, how do they explain the next day all those dead bodies to the forensic teams that are going to be showing up? And how do they end up just not in jail as, like, mass murderers? Because nobody believed it was the thing that did it. It was, you know, whoever happened to be unlucky enough to survive is now implicated in all those killings. Well, the, the, the blood might not be on them. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that goes to why it's horror in a way, maybe. But I don't know. I think there's a certain level of you have to turn off your brain on some things. To well, kind yeah, of, or you'll well, yeah, psychoanalyze everything. Or the final girl thing is like a hundred pound girl like be able to kick down a door. Probably not. So it's gonna there'd be so much it wouldn't add up. Of course, that could be that, that could be a story idea. You know, someone's gone full of the fugitive because everyone thinks they killed the people and not Jason. Oh, I like it. I think if there was a horror movie where somebody had that happen to them. I don't know. If you're listening and you've got ideas or that are there are examples of that, send it our way. Uh, and if you don't, but you write it, reach out and we'll definitely have you on to talk about it because that's an interesting concept. But um, how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you saying, I want to write stories in this space? Well, I think the well, when I was very little, I tried to, I wrote my own Calvin and Hobbes comics. And I think I, when I was in elementary school, I wanted to see the movie Species, which I wasn't allowed to for very obvious reasons. So I wrote my own kind of <laughs> rip-off story about a police officer who gets mutated into a shape-shifting alien and goes around killing mobsters. Well, you know, at least you had a sense of justice. Do you still have that? No. Jay, <laughs> I, mean, I wanted to go, will you send it to your readers? If you had said yes, he'd try to con you into sharing it. Now that'd be that might be a newsletter bonus, you know. If I it, so if I could dig it, it up from wherever it went, he gets it. So, dear listener, if you're listening, he'll uh, when we link his stuff, go go join his newsletter, and one of these days he might share it with you. You just got to keep your eyes peeled. See, he did it for me, Doc. So take that. All and right. You, so, uh, and if you do join my newsletter, you do get movie reviews. One of my most recent ones was the '80s The Blob. Oh, I like it. Okay, we might have to do a horror panel. We should have done that in October, but everybody was busy. Um, yeah, yeah, just as long as I don't have to watch anything with zombies. They're not zombies. They're just sick people. But anyway. Don't do zombies. So many authors let their own real-life experiences influence the stories they tell. So are there any uh, specific formidable moments that shape you as a storyteller? Hmm. I'm trying to think of one at the moment, and I'm not really sure. I mean, the thing in the woods only exists because I was a reporter for the Griffin Daily News for about three and a half years. And so at the town of Eddington is based a lot on a combination of Griffin and McDonough, but it's geographically where Sonoya is. 
Okay. And the reason um, the thing in the woods even exists is because of, you know, borders. I was reading a Call of Cthulhu manual and they had an interesting little scenario. I'm like, huh, I could run with that. Okay. So are you an RPG player then? And no, I, I, I don't really like the rolling dice stuff, but the the lore, like Warhammer, Warhammer 40K, for example, that's a good one. Uh, some of the Forgotten Realms stuff, like I read all the Drizzt books. Well, not all of them, but a bunch of them. Okay. See, I'm a big Warhammer 40K Sisters of Battle fan. You would be. But um, that's just because you like stabbing people. You just like stabbing people. All right, no. Doc. It's the flamethrowing them. In jetpacks. Weren't the flamethrowers like attached to a chainsaw, if I remember correctly? It's, for, it's 40K. Everything's attached okay. to a chainsaw. So if you've got a chainsaw involved, you could technically stab them, even as you flame them. But the seraphim were so amazing. Well, it's, it's anyway. Warhammer 40K. Nobody exactly does subtle. This is true. It's like absurdity, uh, absurdity taken to another level. Hey, 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 leave off my 40K. I didn't say I didn't like the absurdity. I've read You're some absurd. of Dan Abnett. I've read anyway. Dan Abnett's stuff. It's good. We should get him on the show, too. All right, ask your fandom questions. Thank you. So, uh, transitioning from JR's nonsense, in, have you had any cool fan art or cosplay of any of your characters yet? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, if someone out there in Radio Land has done drawings of it, one of my Boy Scout friends did some sketches of James and Amber from The Thing in the Woods, along with the various interpretations of The Thing. Oh, oh yeah, wow. one thing. Um, T.S. Dan, who's another member of the Atlanta chapter of the Horror Writers Association, he did his own interpretation of The Thing in the Woods, which I think I included in my newsletter. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, T.S. Dan wrote a book called Nightmarescape. It kind of ties into almost like 40K. Like when you die, you go to this desolate world where people just fight each other for eternity. That sounds like Valhalla. I like it. In the just grimmest, darkest, suckiest way possible. No hotties serving mead and... So evil, no fun Valhalla. Obviously, JR will be going there. Yeah, baby. All right, that's the next question. There, he said no beer, no hotties, JR. Is oh, that crap, why... I misheard. This is why reading comprehension is important and listening ears matter. <laughs> okay, right. so has anyone asked you for your autograph out in public? Uh, not that I can think of. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Now, you were saying that some of your, your students had, had asked for your autograph. Well, that's my um my high honor for the kids from my sci-fi club that I sponsor. Oh, that's awesome. Get, I wish gra- I had something like that. When they school. graduate, they get a signed copy of The Thing in the Woods, about the only thing I can think of that's really appropriate for high schoolers, <laughs> or at least won't lead to snickering. Like my steampunk book, Battle for the Wastelands, or some sexual content. Oh, and I don't want the kids thinking, hey, 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 look what Mr. Quinn wrote. <laughs> it would be a Fair. distraction. That's awesome. I wish I had a cool club like that when I was in high school. I just got to be a theater and art geek. I went That's to Walton High School in Marietta, and I remember there was a sci-fi club. Remember our big event went to go see Galaxy Quest. Oh, cool. That would have been so much fun. 
An excellent movie, by the way. Never quit, never surrender. <laughs> hey, that's my line. I know. All right. <laughs> so, Get us back on track, Doc. Geez, what's wrong with you? Uh, can you give us kind of your reader's digest? Oh, sorry. I'm skipping a question. Have you had a funny story or crazy fan interactions that you've started writing? Uh, well, one of my students, I gave her the, the signed copy of the thing that was to graduating. She went full fangirl, complete with squealing. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I mean, yeah, that's so cool. Um, So have you, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of all things Matthew W. Quinn, author extraordinaire? Okay. Well, uh, let's see. My first rejection slip was dated September 11th, 2001. <laughs> Oh, that's one way to remember it. And it was from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, whose office is in New Jersey. Oh. So they probably have seen it happen. Oh, my first day. Sorry, what? Oh, nothing. I, I had a bad joke come to mind, which we will censor myself on. Mm. Censor yourself can be overrated. <laughs> Not when, well, anyway. All right. All right. Well, my first sale was a short story called I Am the Wendigo to a webzine called Chimera Serials. I was at UGA at the time. That was 20 bucks. And I ended up republishing on Kindle. That was my first independent Kindle story. Mm -hmm. And I'm a regular participant in the podcast Myopia Movies. And so we recorded an audio version of it with one of my church friends, Lauren Collins, as the voice actor. Nick, the producer, was running all the gear. So that's my only independent audiobook so far. Um, Very cool. Thing in the Woods came out in 2017 through a Canadian small press called Digital Fiction Publishing. And I eventually got the rights back to it and put it out myself. And uh, so there's also the Atlanta Incursion, I think, came out um, in, in 2020, later in the year, then Little People, Big Guns came out about that time as well. That was through Deadite Press. And somewhere in there is Battle for the Wastelands, my steampunk book, which we'll discuss later once the second one comes out. That we'll, We look forward to having you on to discuss that. I do want to make a short joke. Most infantry guys are pretty short, and they do tend to think they carry big guns. Well, um, the, in Little People, Big Guns, there's a character who has this fixation with the Marine Corps. Um, I mean, if you're trying to sneak through the woods, do you want David or the Goliath to go with you? That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, fair point. But uh, that's also, you, you want a little bit of mix of everything because you also need the guy with the, you know, the strong legs and the big back to carry all the stuff. So... Those all sound fascinating, but today we're going to talk about The Thing in the Woods, a small-town creature feature, the first book of the Long War series. So where did the premise for this uniform uh, uniform universe come from? Okay. Uh, was, it was it psychedelics, Ouija board, or overindulging in Georgia peaches? Mm. I was waiting for that joke. No, I don't, I don't know where my peaches probably come from. They generally come from cans. But um, I mentioned bar borders earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I was home from college, but this probably around 2006 when the East Cobb borders still existed. And I was reading through a Call of Cthulhu manual, and they had a scenario. What happens when the rural, dark countryside where inbred people worship horrors from beyond, what happens when that gets suburbanized? 
You get yuppie. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I too grew up in East Cobb. <laughs> so they said. So they the scenario they came up with was the super, the phrase supernatural love canal. The you know, town up north they built the school on top of the toxic waste dump. Mm-hmm. So that was 2006. I think I started writing the earliest version of it in 2007. It was a short story then. And eventually just mutated into a 55,000 or so fairly short novel. Okay. Um, so uh, before we dig in, uh, I'm going to pull the cover up right now. I was doing that as we were talking. Uh, what is the story? Because I do like the way this cover looks. It's um, it's simple, but it's in shades of gray. And I can see that as someone who's colorblind. I always appreciate that. So I'm a huge fan. But what uh, what's the story of this piece of art? How did you come up with this as the cover? Okay, the publisher, he um, asked me to maybe look for some stock art from some websites. He had like a membership on or something. So there's the creepy swamp woods picture. And there's a real stylized sea serpent image you put them both together and it comes it's very fitting for the thing in the woods because you know spoilers for the prologue the critter is kind of serpentine looking it's more cephalopod you know it's a cthulhu kind of thing okay um i really like it so i, I can always appreciate covers i can actually see um which isn't often <laughs> but but i appreciate it hey don't laugh at are you mocking my disability um no so, i'm just mocking you Fair enough. Uh, so moving on to the book itself, what would your 30-second elevator pitch for this this book be? Well, my the lead for the book is, you know, 17-year-old James Daly thought moving from Atlanta to small town Eddington his senior year would kill him, but he didn't mean it literally. <laughs> you know, Atlanta teen sees something he shouldn't in small town Georgia, and he's pursued by a cult that wants to sacrifice him to the alien tentacle god in the woods. Yes, you do. I like it. You've got me hooked. I can understand that the teenagers are annoying. I mean, some of them had it coming. I think sometimes Jason was the un unsung hero of the yeah, universe. Our, our hero is a bit too much of a buckhead Bobby, and the first book is about him get, having that beaten out of him. Okay. I can All understand. Right. Evocative. I dig it. Deck. Uh, Doc, the next question is yours. Uh, oh, <clears throat> thank you. I can do math. So, but what is it that makes your series special and stand out in the unique field of horror? Okay, well, it's kind of Cthulhu adjacent, although TV tropes would call it Lovecraft light, because the whole point of Lovecraftism is that we're hopeless ants in an indifferent universe. Mm -hmm. And this is a bit more upbeat, but it's set in Georgia and not New England. Lovecraft stuff's all New England. Yes. So... I, I like the fact that it's set in Georgia. Um, there was a time when I was in the army, I would have read this probably simply because it was set in Georgia. And uh, I went through a homesick. I read anything and everything that was set in Georgia phase. Even deliverance? So, uh, no, I still only read in speculative fiction. So I read a lot of uh, Alona Andrews. I even watched some Desperate Housewives of Atlanta. Mm. When you're told, hey, you can't fly home and you're homesick, you'll do some stupid shit. Um, but Or you just join the infantry and you do stupid shit for no reason. No, JR, I didn't join the infantry. I was a female. They wouldn't let me join the infantry at that time. 
besides God knows what of trouble I would have gotten into. But that is a different episode. So which tropes do you feel the thing in the woods really hits the best or twists into a unique way? Okay, well, let's see. There's, I'm going to quote the almighty TV tropes here. Uh, small town with a dark secret. A very dark one. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, I kind of I want to deconstruct the redneck stereotype a bit. Okay. Yeah, because you have um, some of the stuff I'm going to try to avoid because it gets into reasons of spoilers. Yeah, okay. that's all we totally. want spoiler free. But you know, you want to, you know, just because you're uh, from the country and you're maybe not as well educated doesn't mean you're dumb or evil. No, have you guys seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Yes, yes, I haven't seen the whole movie yet. But I mean, these kids think these two good old boys are murderers and they try and kill them, and they're just too stupid to do it right. <laughs> you know, this whole thing could have been avoided if they weren't so prejudiced. I actually was surprised when I served in the army. Uh, I deployed with some people from Pennsylvania. I always thought redneck was required. Like to be a redneck, you also had to be Southern. And I learned that the rest of the world has rednecks too. And uh, I met someone from what they call Pennsylvania, which is the sticks out in Pennsylvania. And let me tell you, he could have fit in the backwoods of Georgia or West Virginia or even Virginia just fine. So I guess there's something universal about that sort of. Well, I, I will say this one. Everybody likes to joke that the infantry are the rednecks of the army, but they actually do have the highest average GT score in, in the army. Not PT, just... GT people. We're smart. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, that's another story. But um, so this is. Kind of, it's definitely a horror, but do, would you say it fits in the YA subgenre of horror? Um, it it might work as YA because I have a teen protagonist. Although James Tuck, he's an author for my writing group who blurbed it. He talks about how, like you know, so a character in young adult has young adult problems, and characters. And he's referring to Battle for the Wastelands, my steampunk book. The protagonist had grown man problems, like you know, the village is in a drought and then they're getting oppressed by the local warlords and stuff. So there's a bit more kind of high school drama in this one, but it's not like a kid's book necessarily. I mean, is, is it young adult? No, it is not young adult. Okay, I don't go as icky as it. Like I call it like the lighter, softer version of it. I actually put it in the same level as stranger things. Yeah. Okay, stranger things I've heard is people tell me it's YA because of the age of the protagonist. But I am by far not an expert. Although my my some of my, some of my students who've read it do like it, and they're like sophomore, junior, seniors. So you could spin it as YA. It's also not that long. Although the Harry Potter books are YA, and they keep getting longer and longer. Actually, one of my favorite things to do when I was at Barnes and Noble was watch the grown men who came in and going, "I'm looking for Harry Potter," and then send them to the children's section, <laughs> where the where the where Harry Potter is shelved. Yeah, later Harry Potter books are so brutal, though. Like you know, this is I, one of the kids' books. Yeah, no, it, it always amazes me. It definitely, I think, is one of those where it it ages. I knew somebody who had their child, they would only let their child read it if they were the corresponding age of Harry Potter in the Harry Potter universe. I well, don't if know. You, 
if you were growing up as it was coming out, you would have aged with the main character. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a fast reader and you're reading them after they're all out, then not so much. And I could see why the later books might be problematic. But. And, uh, you I know, I'm not going to criticize somebody who gets their kid reading no matter what. So absolutely. But we're not here to talk about that has been JK because she is not as cool as Matthew Quinn. So let's get back to talking about the uh, thing in the woods. So um, can you tell us a bit more about your main character and what makes them special? Okay. So our main character thing in the woods is James Daly. He's the high school senior. His dad is an attorney and moved the family to a small town. He can still commute to Atlanta and have a bigger house. And then the economy tanks it's, it takes place about the same time as 2009 recession okay and so his family's his dad loses his job and james has to work at the best buy and james is kind of a you know he's a more than a bit of a little bit of a snob who doesn't like most of the people he lives in a town with he most hangs out with a bunch of other atlanta transplants his parents had the same idea Mm -hmm. But there's a real dark streak to James you see in the later parts of Thing in the Woods and the sequel, The Atlanta Incursion. So there's a Tom Holland movie called Devil All the Time, where I'm thinking Tom Holland could play James. He looks about right. Okay. And Devil All the Time, at one point, he holds a preacher played by Robert Pattinson from Twilight Gunpoint and eventually ventilates him. <sighs> you know, in Spider-Man, he's always so cheerful, but in this movie, like, kills a bunch of people. Well, you know, authors like different, uh, actors like different roles. So, um, what, do you have any secondary characters that are particularly memorable in this? Does he have a sidekick? Uh, there's, um, the female lead, Amber, she's one of the locals to the town and she's in the small town community theater. She's also in school with him. And she knows a lot more about what's going on than she lets on at first. And there's a scene I, I can get into reasons of spoilers or she has a moment of glory that's actually really funny okay so if you can't tell us uh about that scene with spoilers what was the inspiration for the characters did they just sort of happen because of what you needed in the story or did you uh, start james with was for that reason um amber's based on this girl i knew from griffin who i wanted to date <laughs> well she was in college i had recently just graduated but i don't think she wasn't interested so oh well so I did her the great honor. I made her immortal. Okay. The one that got away. Always a, a fitting tribute. Okay. What about the uh, the bad guys? Is it just the cultists and the monster? Or are there other forces at play? And obviously no spoilers. So if well, you have to... the, the monster is it's in, it's somewhat intelligent. We'll get more into the monsters in, in the Atlanta incursion because <laughs> that explains what the thing is. But in terms of... You know, conscious antagonists there's phil the cult leader who runs a local barbecue restaurant and spends a lot of time just sitting there hating the shane's rib shack across the street <laughs> and there's reed his enforcer okay so does does do these barbecue places with names change obviously so you don't get sued do they really exist it is based in in griffin you have the north expressway that goes out of town and there is a barbecue shop that's on the North Expressway. Hopefully the owner of the shop isn't listening to this. <laughs> okay. I'm All right. So uh, this is Doc's favorite question, but I stole it today. So 
you as an author have done unspeakable things to your characters especially given you write horror uh or horror adjacent so if your characters met you in a back alley and they knew that you were matthew quinn god of their universe creator of their torment how would that play out and would you survive the encounter let's see um think about it well Spoiler a bit for the first book. Amber will be glad she has a boyfriend who isn't an asshole. Because <laughs> that's her kind of her backstory is that she was kind of sexually exploited by her previous boyfriend and then cheated on her. It sounds like most asshole high school males. Yeah, and so James would probably beat me half to death, especially after the second book. <laughs> yeah, okay. Phil and Reed would probably feed me to the tentacle monster. The tentacle monster would eat me. The tentacle monster would probably eat me anyway because that's just what it does. Well, then at least give it indigestion on the way down. Yeah, what was that movie? I think in the movie Dog Soldiers and the werewolves are eating some guy. The last words, like, I hope I give you the shits. Yes, that's a good movie, too. I love B-horror movies. They're the best ones. They don't take themselves too seriously. It's just awesome. <laughs> All right, so finally, what can you tell us about the universe where this, this story happens? Uh, in many series, the worlds where the story takes place are as much ca a character as a protagonist or antagonist. So what can we expect? Is it just modern day with, with the supernatural sort of twist? Is it different? Okay, so Thing in the Woods kind of takes place in our world, except there's kind of, you know, the, there's the masquerade, you know, stuff going behind the scenes is not widely known. And the first book, Thing in the Woods, stands on its own, but there are some little hints here and there. There's more that's that's setting it up. So the second book kind of turns this into like the college young adult version of Delta Green, if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And then book, the third book I have planned is called um, The Walking Worm. And the fourth book I have planned is The Shadow Men. So that kind of gets more like the men in black mythology that gets into the second book. So how many books do you see in the series? I could just keep make this thing go on for as long as it needs to. I mean, Battle for the Wastelands by Steampunk series has a nine or ten book and then it's done. And if it doesn't sell, well, I can cut off at six. Okay. The, the world of the long war can just keep going and going as long as it follows your main characters. And you can also write stuff set in this world at different times. Mm -hmm. Like I have a... I have an idea for a novel or novella set takes place in the early 90s featuring Thomas Bolton, the men in black character who we briefly meet in The Thing in the Woods and then more about him in the second book. Okay. That kind of ties in with the UFO mythology and Dulcie base. Okay. So does do you plan on keeping it with sort of classic horror monsters or are you going to branch out to other things? Because if you just go with just the classic monsters, you've still got dozens and dozens of books. Well, one of my church friends asked if this is the young X-Files. Oh, so okay. The X-Files has the, the, the broader colonization arc, but you also have the Monsters of the Week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Thing in the Woods is a Monster of the Week, but it's tied in with why the Greys are coming. Uh, the War with the Greys is a big part of the first few books planned, and The Walking Worm is a Monster of the Week. Okay. All right, Doc, next question is yours. So, um, it sounds like this is a very similar world to ours, but do you have magic in it? No, there's no magic. Um, there are psychic abilities, but that's the idea is that's more like sufficiently advanced biology. 
Okay, so it's more like a horror sci-fi then. Yes. Like okay. The first book is a straight-up horror story. The Atlanta Incursion gets more into science fiction. Okay. So this probably gets a little bit more into the Atlanta Incursion, but is there any tech that you developed for this that you'd want to like keep and use in daily life? Mm. Well, I generally live a fairly peaceable life. I don't think I would need a you know laser cannon or personal shielding. Oh, that would be fun to play with, though. Um, might be nice to have in the event you're getting a car accident or something. <laughs> so uh, then we'll, we'll pivot a little bit then. What about the psychic powers? If you could get the psychic powers, would you take them? Um, yeah, I mean, always just have them and not necessarily use them because you know, go, go rooting around in somebody's head. That's really not cool. Well, I guess he's going to be all moral and upstanding and he's not going to abuse them. So I guess we can move on to how he creates the monsters. <laughs> Doc and I are horrible people. We'd be like, oh, yeah, we totally use it. Oh, uh, dude. Well, if you can just if you can pick up what's coming off people, I I can that see be that nice being because I know it could ever lie to you. Ultimate cheating cheating test. But if you go like pushing yourself into someone's brain, that's a bit different. Yeah, no. sure. I can see that being the ultimate way to find out if your student is cheating. I had a teacher in college who loved it when students tried to argue that he wasn't cheating because he normally had footage of them doing it. So, yeah. Um, but moving on, how did you go about designing your creatures for this? Okay, I'm trying. Okay. To, okay, the the thing in the woods, the earliest version of it was more like kind of like a Cthulhu creature, mm -hmm. like it had wings and was vaguely humanoid. I don't remember what changed because I wrote it like the first chunk of it I wrote in 2007. I let it sit aside for years and kind of finish it in a big binge about 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. So eventually the design changed to something more serpentine and much larger. Okay. okay. And the grays so, are, and we meet them in the second book. I mean, they're on the cover, so it's not spoilers. But they're, the they're, many of them are just much larger because, okay. you know, a little four foot tall, rinky dink little thing not, is not physically threatening. Some warrior cast thing is like 10 feet tall with personal shields and laser cannon. That could be a problem. Obviously, his mother was not like five two foot in shoes like mine because short is scary in my world. Yes. So when you go about creating these monsters, and it doesn't have to be ones you've written yet because you've got more planned, and so you're, the gears in your head, I can see they're already working. Do you, when you tend to create these, do you let nature inspire you? Do you uh, tap into your nightmares? Do you look at old monster manuals from various RPGs? Like, what inspires your creation of these creatures? Um. Monster manuals are always fun. Um, let's see. Um, some stuff, like when I was a kid, I was really into cryptozoology, like Bigfoot okay. stuff. So I am the Wendigo, my first sale. That was the Wendigo is from Native American mythology. Some people think it's a Bigfoot, only it's more aggressive and carnivorous. As opposed to you know, the North American chimp. Of course, chimps are okay. nasty creatures anyway, but they're not necessarily exclusive predators and okay. so pillaging different mythologies from different cultures is interesting always fun uh and that makes a lot of cool story stuff research and thus tax deductible honest it's it's for my book oh yeah good old amazon you know 
Yeah. So uh, clearly this interview is winding down. This was a little bit of shorter one, but your stories were, you know, initially shorter. Uh, you say they're getting longer. Is, is that my understanding that as the series grows, the, the length of the novels will grow? I'm not really sure. I'm a thing in the woods is 56,000 words. The Atlanta incursion is about 60. Um, I'll need to check my word count for the walking worm, the third book. I right. anticipate it might be about the right length, the same length, or maybe just a smidge longer. Then they might get the Shadow Men, though the planned fourth book. I don't think it, I don't know how long that's going to be because it all takes place in back in Eddington, the small town, over the course of maybe a couple of days. Okay. Right. So um, if they get longer, not be getting that much longer. We're not necessarily talking about again Harry Potter books. They go from like two hundred, three hundred pages, like four hundred, five hundred pages. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so was there anything that we didn't ask that you want to tell us about the thing in the woods or the long war series before we, we wrap this up? Okay. So there's the ebook and the print book. We went over that. There's also an audiobook version the publisher made. Um, if you're right. in audiobooks, um, the publisher still has that because Amazon um, audible contracts like for seven years. Yeah. Right. So the publisher wanted to orient more away from novels to short story collections. I guess that's where his interests lie. And so I got the rights to Thing in the Woods back pretty easily. But the Atlanta, sorry, but the audio version, they got all the trouble of breaking the contract. So I guess I'll just base with, it, base with him in a couple of years when that contract expires. But okay. if you like audio, you can get an audio version of Thing in the Woods, but not for the Atlanta incursion or anything or anything else I've written other than I am the Wendigo. Okay. It's because making my own audio book would be such a pain. Yeah. Audiobooks are very complicated. So uh, before we, we let this interview wind down, dear listener, we'd like to remind you, uh, as we harken back to our original podcast, that we assume you're here because you two were in uh, voracious readers. So when you read, if you would take a moment to, to review those books, uh, please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms because your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So that's not just over there on Amazon. If you read on Barnes & Noble, leave a review over there. If you uh, got Goodreads, over there is a good place. Write on your blog. Tell your friends. Put it on a skyscraper, billboard. Fly it on the back of a plane for all I care. But review your books. Rumor has it that every hundredth review an author gets, they get a unicorn. True story. Do you have any unicorns yet, Matthew? Can you confirm this? Um, if that worked, I would have a unicorn for the thing in the woods, 106 reviews so far. But then again, I live in a bachelor box. It wouldn't be ethical to have a large animal. Unless you ate it. This is Georgia. You can get away with eating weird things. Don't laugh at me, Doc. You know you want to know what It is not thing. that area of Georgia. All Georgia's like that. I have it on good authority. I went to basic training there. I know. I know Georgia. I'm like okay, an expert. I drove Fort Benning below the Nat line. Yeah. I went to Fort uh, the Atlanta airport. I took a bus to Fort Benning. I know all I need to know about Georgia. It's a true story. It all checks out. <laughs> and now we're going to get hate mail from everyone that lives in Georgia. <laughs> Send your hate mail to Seska at Blasters and Blades Podcast, uh, gmail.com. All right. Don't so send it there. Do not send it there, Jen. I don't have any. That's not a real email. But you so, ruined a bit. 
Like, they're going to think that I, I had them. They were like, oh, man, I've got Seska's email address. We're good to go. And now you're like, no, you're going to crush my dreams, ruin my joke. All right. Matthew's worry, nicer than you, though, so we like him. So, Matthew, how can listeners and readers find you? Okay, well, let's see. I'm on Twitter, at Matthew W. Quinn. Not sure how much longer I'm going to stay on Twitter because I just realized only about 50 people see my tweets. Um, my website is my ancient blogger blog, www.accordingtoquinn.com. At some point, we need a new author website. <laughs> and there's a email, a newsletter email sign-up link on accordingtoquinn.com that um, you can sign up for the newsletter and get exclusive stuff, like first notifications of when I'm going to have events. Like... I realized that, you know, I make a lot more money selling books at events than I typically make in Amazon royalties. Mm -hmm. It's like something I read about Taylor Swift. She realizes that she makes so much more money at concerts and from record sales. She likes record sales. And that's why she's so ludicrously rich. And all these other musicians end up going bankrupt. Yeah. It helps to know your, your business model and your audience. That definitely is a thing. All right, and you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. That's our real email address. We've even answered all four of the letters we've gotten so far. It's only been a year, though, so maybe next year we'll get five. Who knows? We can, can dream I, big, can Doc. I, can... Go ahead, man. Can I add one more thing? Sure. Yeah, of course. Can I add one more thing? Yes. Okay. I'm a regular participant in the film podcast, Myopia Movies. That's every week. We okay. watch childhood movies, see if they're still good. And Dog Soldiers was one of them. It wasn't as good as I remember from high school. Land Before Time was still good. Yeah, we, some of the stuff that's come up with this podcast, we've done them. <laughs> okay. I will uh, track that down and find the link and throw that in the show notes as well, dear listener. And uh, if you don't want to hang out with us on Twitter or email us, we, we have all the shenanigans over there on Facebook, facebook.com backslash groups, backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash group backslash blasters and blades podcast. We have our website where you can also support us on a monthly basis, much like a Patreon model, which is anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again it is our website it's where all the uh podcasts are hosted and if you want to support the show you can do that over there and speaking of supporting the show you can also do that at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section elvis says hi be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i will keep my co-host uh, nick garber and doc seska duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders never surrender see totally should do that one all right doc bring that us home to be done uh thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley, I'm Seska, and this was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. Join us next week where we'll have fun indulging nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, pineapple on pizza, and of course, torturing J.R. because why else wouldn't we? <laughs> all right, we forgot to ask. You get to weigh in because Doc brought it up. I was going to try to let it slide just once. We just had our turkey. Everyone's chilling. <laughs> You're so but... compulsive. But Doc won't do it. So, so Matthew, how do you feel about polluting the sacred pizza with pineapples? I like pineapple on pizza. I oh, like Hawaiian pizza. Are you screening our guests, Doc? This is what I get for letting you pick. 
Check out the Mellow Mushroom Hawaiian Pizza. It's good. So good. Well, Mellow Mushroom Pizza is good anyways, but yes. That sounds like the stoner place. Yeah. Not a stoner. Not even not stoner. Maybe shroomer place. Yes, (laughs) definitely. I like their their shroom pizza. Do you get the special shrooms when you buy the pizza? Asking for a friend. We get the pizza that we are given. Fair enough. All right. So, however... I really kind of am thinking about cranberry sauce on pizza. Oh, some sort of fusion thing. I just like cranberry sauce. Like I made, a gar- I made a chicken Alfredo quesadilla once. So, I mean, like a turkey cranberry sauce pizza. Ooh, Ooh. see? That sounds good. All right. Now the Italians are going to come beating down our door and murder us in our sleep and panel van us. It's going to get ugly, people. Thank you for hanging out with us. We- we're glad you came by. Thank you for coming, Matt.